Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. It's not until we all, again, come to that understanding that our God is able. Our God is able. Our God is able. And I have to come to that point. You have to come to that point. Each one of us individually have to come to that point in our lives to where we say, you know what? I fully trust him. I don't understand it. I cannot comprehend it. Uh, None of the figures match. None of it makes sense to me. But I fully trust him in this area and in this place in my life. Is there a greater challenge in life than to have faith in the midst of trials and adversity? Scripture promises an eternal inheritance waiting for us after our life here on earth. But do you ever find yourself looking for the joy that is promised to us even during our life on earth? Today, Pastor David challenges listeners to ignore the devil's schemes and keep an eternal mindset. He speaks on the faith that is necessary to experience God's inheritance for us, not only in heaven, but also here on earth. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Call to Inheritance. David came, they took care of that problem, but when this was written, they were still living there. You think the Jebusites dwelling there in Jerusalem, they could not drive them out. Why would the Jebusites be so difficult? Was it the city of Jerusalem that was so difficult, almost impenetrable for them to come? Were the Jebusites such mighty, powerful warriors? There is no enemy. There is no wall. There's no giant that's greater than our God. And if our God says, if in faith you go and if you move forward, I'll fight the enemy for you. I wonder what happened here. Did they come to the point and say, well, you know what? That's just not worth it. That's just one more thing. Or did they come to the point where they said, I'm, I'm weary in the battle? Did they come to the point and says, well, I think they're harder. They're, they're tougher than anything in the past. We're going to see this as kind of a pattern in several of the tribes where they come up and yet there's still this remaining thing. There's still this one little issue in their life that they allow to stay there. And then for the Christian, for the believer today, so many times we can say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, except this one little area in my life, and that's the one I'm going to keep. You know, everything, Lord, is yours. I surrender every, except that one thing. Maybe it's an extreme pleasure or delight in your life, or maybe it's a, just a personal thing that, hey, you know, I don't want this. I, I could go on with a whole list of things, but then you'd know the areas that I struggle with. So we're not going to go there. It could be a, a multitude of things. Do we get tired in, in the battle? Do we get selfish and greedy? 
Do we get to the point, I can trust you in every area, Lord, but this area, I've got to take care of myself. And I think we find out in the experience of Israel that the areas that we try to take care of ourselves is the ones that we get the most trouble with and that continue to come back to, to continually haunt us. And we're going to see this in the life of Israel, that the things that they did not gained victory in. It's the things that continued to come back and to deal with them and to battle with them in their own lives. The Jebusites remained. They remained there in the city of Jerusalem. And it's not until the time of David, almost 400 years later, they're still there. Not until the time of David did they get rid of them. And that's the amazing thing. How long do we battle in areas in our life? How long do we battle with situations in our life? Not giving the Lord absolute control and not giving absolute surrender to him in our lives. And how much damage do they do through our lives? How much do they hinder us from absolute freedom? How much do they keep us from walking in joy inexpressible and full of glory before the Lord? Why? Because we've got these little Jebusites tucked away. We haven't surrendered him. We haven't gained victory over it. In chapter 16, we look at the Ephraimites, the tribe of Ephraim. It says that the lot fell next to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho to the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains of Bethel, and then went out from Bethel to Luz and passed along the border of the Archites and Ataroth and, and went down north of uh, uh, Judah, south of the tribe of West Manasseh, uh, the half-tribe there. And again, we could look at all of these things. We could take a whole lot of time in looking at each one of these things on a map, but again, what, what we have here is of the two children of Joseph. Remember when Joseph was sold into captivity into Egypt, he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And when uh, Jacob or Israel went to bless the children, uh, he blessed the two sons of Joseph. Uh, by the way, he didn't bless them by birth order. He reversed the birth order. Uh, he blessed Manasseh first and then Ephraim. And as we look, Manasseh has a much larger land portion. They've got half of the tribe of Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan, the other half on the west side of the Jordan. And he was the second born. Ephraim got a much smaller piece. But uh, again, are we looking at that? Are we trying to again, compare each other to each other on the blessings of God? Or do we just say, thank you, Lord, because I don't deserve any of it. And thank you for what you're doing in my life. He says here, as they go into this again about the border of the land of Ephraim, verses uh, five on through verse nine there, about all the villages and the cities and where the children of Ephraim and their families were. Then we get to verse 10. And in verse 10, we read another one of those things where they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. And you think, well, that's a good thing. I mean, now I got a slave to kind of help take. No, the influence of the Canaanites still for them was a battle for them all through their existence. Yeah, but I've got control of them. No, you don't. It's just like situations in our lives. But I've got, a, I've got control of that particular situation in my life. I can handle that thing in my life. No, that thing handles you and controls you 
just like an ox that has a ring through its nose. Oh, but I'm a big, strong ox. Yeah, but you put that ring through that nose, I guarantee you that ox is going to go anywhere you pull it. And in the same way with situations, they allowed the Canaanites to stay there, and they had to deal battle with them all of their existence. Verse 17 speaks about the other half-tribe of Manasseh, the ones on the western side of the Jordan River. Again, another large landmass there. The lot for the tribe of Manasseh fell, and again, got uh, all, the, all the blessings. In verse 5, it talks about Zelophadad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Macon, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of the daughters. Mela and Noah and Hogla, Milcah and Tirzah. Now, these daughters came, and it's usually the, the inheritance would go to the sons. But all he had were daughters. He only had daughters. And so verse 4 says, They came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the ruler, saying, Hey, you know what? The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. The rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. I look at this and I think, okay, so what's the significance of the saying of the daughters? Well, I mean, I'm glad the daughters got inheritance, ladies. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to cut you out on anything. But the reality is, is it was the sons that would get it. And yet God made provision for these girls, for these women. And I think to myself, you know, the things that we worry about in life, the things that we struggle with in life, the things that we're so concerned about, how can God do this? Is there any way that God's going to be able to work this out in my life? God can work these things out in our lives so much more than beyond anything, again, that we've experienced or that we can understand or that we can even begin to figure out, how am I going to get this? How am I going to plan or scheme to do this? You know what? When we trust the Lord in our lives, he can work in some ways that just will absolutely blow you away when we're walking and trusting in him wholeheartedly in our lives. He's done this for these women. He's given them an inheritance among all of these sons. And now they have that inheritance. And what a blessing is theirs in the midst of this. We look at uh, this whole area of land for that half-tribe of Ephraim. And as big as it is, it's beautiful, all the way from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean. On the top uh, western side, you know, just a, a beautiful, beautiful area. The mountains, the greenery, the shoreside, all that's there that has become theirs. There's a couple of things that just kind of jumped out at me as I looked at this. Down in verse 11, it says that, again, their, their land was real close. It was adjoining to Asher and Issachar's, and also says Manasseh had Beth Shane. Beth Shane, if you know your Bible history, that's the area where the Philistines hung the bodies of Saul and, his, and, and Jonathan after they killed Jonathan and Saul in, in the battles. Beth Shane was, you know, again, part of the inheritance. But again, the Philistines were able to come back and, and get so much of this land. Because what looked so good for you and I sometimes in our worldly understanding 
sometimes becomes a burden, sometimes it becomes more than we can handle. And sometimes the enemy can even use what we think is, is, a, is a blessing to occur become a stumbling block in our own life. One of the other inhabitants is the inhabitants of Endor. And I, I think, okay, there's another situation with Saul and problems with him. It talks about the inhabitants of Megiddo, Megiddo, Armageddon. That's the area up on the very top northwestern side. It's up by Mount Carmel. From Mount Carmel, we can look from there and we see down over the whole valley of Armageddon, of Megiddo. And we see right there so many battles throughout all of history have been fought in that battle. And it's kind of an interesting thing too. If you look at a topographical map of Israel from that point of about Mount Carmel to the north of Mount Carmel, from the Mediterranean Sea all the way down to the Jordan River, it is a lower area. It's the one most passable areas in all of Israel to get from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River Valley because of the valley that that runs uh, west to east along there. Again, armies and, and battles and stuff that have been fought there. And all we have to do is, again, look at our uh, the prophecies of end time battles, the Battle of Armageddon being fought right in that area. With great blessing comes great responsibilities. Look at verse 14. The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are a great people? Well, I kind of look at their land and I think, well, you guys got quite a bit of land there. But listen to what it says. Since we are such a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, if you are a great people, then you go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. What he's speaking there is where Manasseh's land is, for the most part, they had only populated the lower lands down by the Mediterranean Sea and the lower lands down along the Jordan River. But there is plenty of land on the mountainsides. But the problem is, is what we find out in biblical history, the giants always contained or lived in, obtained the mountain area. Great area for defense. And again, they were there. You want the mountain land, you've got to fight uphill against the giants. And you talk about an uphill battle, that is what it's all about. It's an uphill battle going against these. And so he tells them, you need more land then you go ahead and you possess all of that land that's yours. You see, all of it was promised to them, but they were only occupying the outside edges. They weren't occupying the full thing. Listen to what he says here, verse 16. But the children of Joseph said, but the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley, they got chariots of iron. And both those are the Bethshain and the towns, and those are in the valley of Jeth. In other words, they're saying that the enemy's a little too tough for us. I want more but can't you just give me more? Don't make me fight for it. Don't make me stand for it. Don't make me trust for it. Can't it just be given to me? Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, you are a great people. You've got great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down, and its furthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. One thing we know about Joshua, he was a man of faith. He was just a guy of faith. He believed that if God said it, we can walk in that 
we can push forward in that. All the way from the point that he was one of the only two spies, he and Caleb, that saw this promised land, we realized, hey, you know what? God's given us land. Yeah, there's giants, there's walled cities, but God's given us the land. Let's just go take it. Everybody else is so fearful. I see this guy still at this point in time in his life. He says, you know what, guys? Go and take it. I don't care if they've got, you know, these iron chariots. The land is yours. God gave you that land. Go and take it. And every once in a while, in every one of our lives, I don't care who you are, we need people to come alongside of us and say, you know what? God is for you. God wants you to move in victory. God wants you to move in the hope and the promise that is yours in Christ. And though it may look like a hard battle that's in front of you, you need to trust God and move forward in that. Believe God. Don't believe in your own strength. Don't depend upon your own might. I wouldn't do that. I know Joseph did that, but I mean Joshua did that. I want you to understand that God's going to fight the battle for you. I want you to understand that God is greater, even though you may be weak, even though you may have failed multiple times. God is able to do what? Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And so I trust in him. I walk in him. I depend upon him. And that's where we need to be. Ephraim, Manasseh, you guys need more land? Take those mountains. They're yours. God gave them to you. It's all within your line. Just go in and take it. And the same God that helped you get the land thus far is going to help you to get that land also. Whether it be giants, whether it be chariots of iron, whatever it might be, just move forward and allow God to show himself strong. Chapter 18, we start moving on toward the, the rest of the land that needs to be uh, conquered or divided and uh, obtained. It says that the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. They set up a tabernacle of meeting there in Shiloh. I know it's hard to see on, on the map, but uh, it's north of Jerusalem. It's uh, about on the border of Ephraim and West Manasseh. Here's where they came, and now they planted the tabernacle there, the, the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was there at Shiloh up until the time of David, until the time of the building of the, the temple in Solomon's time. That was the place where they would go. Uh, that's where they would go and meet with God. That's where they would go and be encouraged by the things of God. That's where the sacrifices were made. It remained among the children of Israel, and yet there remained, verse 2 says, there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which hadn't yet received their inheritance. And so Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? I think that that's a word of a pastor talking to a congregation of people and knowing that some within that congregation, man, they're walking in the fullness of the Lord. They're walking in the promise of the Lord. They're walking in victory of the Lord. Oh, it doesn't mean that they don't stumble every once in a while, but you just know in their life, man, they are doing what God wants them to do, and they're experiencing the presence and the power and the joy and the fullness of God in their lives. And yet you can look out in your congregation, and you can say, man, how long are you going to continue to wait? How long are you going to continue to hold back until you say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of being defeated by the enemy. I'm tired of being beat up. I'm tired of running scared from the enemy every time the enemy just shows his face. I'm running rather than pressing forward and trusting God in my life. I believe that Joshua sees these, these other seven tribes here, and he says, man, how long are you going to wait? You want somebody to come and spoon feed you? It's not going to happen. It's not until we all, again, come to that understanding that our God is able. Our God is able. 
Our God is able. And I have to come to that point. You have to come to that point. Each one of us individually have to come to that point in our lives to where we say, you know what? I fully trust him. I don't understand it. I cannot comprehend it. Uh, None of the figures match. None of it makes sense to me. But I fully trust him in this area and in this place in my life. And beloved, I believe that God is waiting for you and I to put him to the test in a multitude of areas in our life. That we quit running scared from the enemy and we start pressing forward in the things of the Lord, trusting him to do what his word has declared by example of the Old Testament, by the teaching of Christ in the New Testament, by the teachings of the church in the New Testament. God will do what he's promised that he would do if we remain faithful. Does that mean we won't have trials? No, we're going to have trials. But in the midst of that trial, do we back down or do we continue to stand firm and say, Lord, you see this trial greater than I do. You know it's beginning and it's end. Lord, you know it's depth. You know it's width. You know everything about it. You know my form. You know everything about me. You know my weaknesses. You know what strengths I have and don't have. But Lord, I'm just surrendering to you and I want to move forward and I want to be found faithful to you in my life. And Lord, I battle in this area in my life. And Lord, I battle in this area in my life, but I no longer want to walk defeated. Oh, that the church, that we all together would have that mindset to walk victorious in Christ Jesus. He is the victory that overcomes the world. He is the one. We're going to have bad days? Yeah, we'll have bad days. We're going to have doubts? Yeah, we'll have doubts. We're going to fall? Yeah, we'll fall. But as I tell you all the time, when you fall, fall forward. Fall forward. When you have doubts, get over it and move on, okay? Get over the pity party and move on and know that our God is strengthening us in him. And do we need encouraging one another? Absolutely. We need to encourage one another. We need to rally around one another. And I don't think that any of us can rest, just as I don't believe any of Israel rested until all of Israel came and possessed all of their land. That's why Joshua says, hey, come on, guys. go." Again, we look at how the land is divided soon. Benjamin gets his land, and, and Simeon gets their land, and uh, Zebulun gets gets all of their land, and Issachar gets their land, uh, Asher gets their land, Naphtali gets their land, and Dan gets their land. All of these things come together. And you know what? At the very end, at the very end of chapter 19, who gets their land? Joshua does. He doesn't rest until everybody is settled in. I think that's a word not only for as a pastor or for uh, church leadership. I think that's a word for every one of us. None of us can rest until all of us are walking strong in the Lord. And we're encouraging and strengthening one another in the Lord. There's not a one of us that are able to say, gee, I made it. Too bad about you. Too bad about you. That's not the heart and the mind of Christ. That's not the heart and the mind and the understanding of what the Lord calls for us. That's why the word tells us, you who are spiritual, man, go and strengthen that brother that's stumbling and struggling. Lift up those weary hands. Strengthen those feeble knees. You see a brother that's caught in sin, you that are spiritual, man, you go and take him. Man, you're going to save him even though as by fire. That's the call that we have 
as brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the mightiest warriors in the entire Bible was Joshua. God used Joshua to conquer many of the pagan nations surrounding God's people. From spying out the land God had promised his people, to Joshua's encounter with the angel of the Lord, this book will surely be an encouragement. Join us as David teaches through Joshua verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, We pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.